down and 79 to go Vardy and the Los Angeles Kings remain undefeated in regulation in the Bannerman era. How you doing tonight Vardy? I'm fantastic. I'm, I'm doing a lot better than I thought I would be doing if you asked me two weeks ago. My, my spirits are high. My mood is uplifted. I'm enjoying watching hockey. Yeah, is that because the Kings look like they're playing the same hockey the rest of the league is for once? <laughs> a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, save some parts here and there, but it's just, it's a lot more fun to watch them this season. I, I realize it's early, but, um, at least in the three games that I've watched, it's been a lot more fun. I remember last year, there was a lot of games where I was watching and about halfway through the second period, I was just struggling. I could just telegraph every pass and every, you know, zone entry and possession. And uh, it's nice to have a little unpredictability from the Kings. I haven't had that in a little while. Yeah, you know what I don't miss? I don't miss watching the Kings and questioning my life decisions and wondering how <laughs> I'm spending my time and spending my days, which right. was the majority of last season, like you mentioned. But no, I agree with you. It's been a good start. Uh, so let's kind of recap the first week of the Kings season. That included three games. So we're going to run through the games and kind of Give you our, our opinion, our perspective, insight, insight all yeah. that good stuff, because I know you're dying to hear it. You're dying to hear it. Yeah, this. I mean, this expert-level discussion can only be found at maybe, I don't know, three, four hundred places on the internet. So. <laughs> yes, consider this a master class in hockey right now. So everyone get your notepad out. But yeah, so... That's right. So the Kings opened the season in Los Angeles against Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. And just quickly, you know, they, they didn't look too sharp that game. Uh, I thought Philly outplayed them for the most part, particularly after midway point of the second period. And it, yeah, at some point I was like, Quick is bailing them out right now. And I got that very familiar sinking feeling in my stomach that really nothing had changed. Everything was the same. We took a lead, and we kind of sat back, tried to play that lockdown hockey that we're so familiar with. And for a second there, I was pretty worried. What were your feelings on that one? Yeah, I think I, I, think I pretty much agree with that. Um, <laughs> whether it's because of the conversation we had a couple of weeks ago or whatnot, um, I was just watching that game. And, and the, the night before that, the, uh, the Flyers had just played San Jose, and I had watched that game as well. And so I kind of went into that game just thinking to myself, like, man, I miss Wayne Simmons. I just I just really miss that guy. And so <laughs> that thought just kept kind of creeping into my head the less and less we managed to, to do. And then, wonder of all wonders, it was the, uh, the fourth line, if I guess if you want to call them that, that, that really kind of got me and everyone into that game and, and played, you know, surprisingly well. I, I was seeing flashes of offense and creativity from from Kyle Clifford um, that I had not seen since basically his rookie season when he played so well in his rookie season that we were convinced again that he was going to be an easy uh, lateral move and made it okay to trade Wayne Simmons because we thought we were going to get a guy like Wayne Simmons. Now, obviously, Kyle Clifford has not been Wayne Simmons by any stretch of the imagination, but he was showing me some things, and the whole line was showing me some things um, that was pleasant to see. And and obviously, you know, they got the game winner in that game. Yeah, so that goal, man, if you watch that goal, if you watch that replay, yeah, Clifford's driving wide, gains the zone, and normally what Kyle Clifford would do, and most of the Kings would do, would probably chip it in the corner, chase it, or try to drive around the defender, pull up, and hit the point. But what he does on that play, and I love this play, is he gives a little uh, bank pass off the boards to Nick Shore, who's trailing the play. Now, it's not a mind-blowing play, right? It's not, he didn't go between the legs, drop pass, and then, you know, Shore didn't spin around or give it to Lewis. It, it was a very basic, fundamental hockey play. But the big thing for me is that is that one little difference of... You can either take it outside, you can either chip it in, or you could try to actually make a play where you don't uh, risk losing possession. 
So he it's a bump off the boards to Shore who finds Lewis across with a great pass. Great play. Uh great goal game winner, like you said. But other than that, I would say the rest the rest of the game, it, I didn't see too much flash and creativity. Um, even though Philadelphia seemed to be controlling the pace for most of the game, for most of the game, the high danger chances still belong to the Kings, 11 to nine. I think Philly, for the most part, was kept to the outside. They threw a lot of rubber on quick, but for that game, it was good to see the defensive aspect of it still being very much prevalent in the Kings game. But offensively, I still really didn't feel like there was a huge jump, especially when you look at you know your stars, right? You look at Kopitar that game, you look at Carter to Foley. They weren't really engaged as much as I would like. Uh, they didn't have the jump that you want to see. You, I didn't feel the excitement of the season opener. You know, the coach is gone, new system, fresh start, all that kind of stuff they've been throwing at us all summer long. I didn't quite see it in that game. Yeah, no, I, I think I agree with a lot of that. Um, that being said, it was nice to see Jonathan Quick kind of go back to being that anchor that we were used to. You know, he didn't play a full season last season. He was coming back from injury, and when he came back, the, the team itself was in a bit of uh, a downward spiral and shambles, and so I don't think he really had the opportunity to kind of, you know, show what he was still capable of doing, and it raised a lot of questions whether his age and durability was still there. And so it's nice to have him come back in game one pitch a shutout and look really good, solid, not having to do too many, you know, crazy acrobatic saves that we know he's capable of doing. Just play a solid game, get a shutout. You know, I think, I think that sets a lot of people's minds at ease. It certainly does for me. You know, after all, he is the number six best goalie in the NHL per NHL network, lest we forget. <laughs> You're right, right. With Quick, it, it was, you know, it was good to see that. It was good to see him on top of his game and he was kind of the least of my worries going into the season because goaltending is sometimes separated from whatever the team is trying to do system wise and all that somewhat separated I should say so I wasn't too concerned about him to begin with my concern came is that here we go again you know like we're gonna have to lean on our goaltender we're gonna have this bend but not break kind of mentality which which was fine for a long time there but after an offseason of of all those you know changes we made all the systematic differences we were supposed to see it was kind of worrisome to see what i saw on the ice now that being said it, it's it's tough to complain about a two nothing shutout to yeah. start the season and philly's a good team man i mean philly you know look at what they did to san jose the night before they were able to play really well and i think philly is a team that we've kind of talked about that just for whatever reason hasn't really been able to pull it all together and so you know the, it's not like they're playing some slouch team like Colorado or something and, and really just all the Colorado's look decent too, apparently to start the season. But you know, you know what I'm saying? Like I, I expected them to have a tough game. You know, I fully went into that game and I wouldn't have been surprised at all had they lost. And so for them to bend and not break when my expectations were so low, not just for that game, but for the whole season, you know, we're going to have games like that. Yeah, There's no it, question we're going to have games like that. And Philly playing the night before probably ended up helping them more than hurting them because it's, so, right. it's so early in the season. They've had an opportunity to kind of work out the bugs, that excitement. The butterflies are probably now behind them of opening night, whereas the Kings, they have a lot to prove, and they're on home ice as well. You know, the Flyers were on the road too, so that kind of helps them too. But overall, hey, Two nothing win, a win's a win, as they say. Did I, you know, did we leave that game a little bit concerned? Yes, I would, you know, <laughs> as disappointing as a two nothing win can be. Uh, I yeah. think, I think that's kind of the feeling I had. But then rolling into San Jose, man, two nights later, now, now we're talking. That was a totally different game here. Things started looking different in that game. The offense was way more free flowing. Uh, when you look at the shot chart from that game it shows a lot of uh, shots coming from dangerous areas and high danger chances for that game was 11 to 7 los angeles so but again you know corsi aside high danger shots aside you all those statistics aside you could tell just by watching that game that the kings had really started opening up uh a lot more movement, a lot more creativity. Alex Iofalo had a terrific game. He, he's been mm -hmm. kind of a revelation for the Kings. 
most importantly, though, you got to say, you know, Andre Kopitar going from the Philly game where he looked lethargic and a little disinterested. He's now in that game. He was he had a jump in his step. He was moving around. He looked like he himself had a point to prove. And he obviously finishes the night with two goals and an assist. Uh, first goal, a beautiful shot. His assist to Brown. I mean, Brown did the work on that, but, you know, that's what centers do. They they pick up those assists where you don't even remember they were part of the play. That's what good centers do anyway. And then his second goal, obviously, you could say it's a bit of a fluke play. But, again, it comes from the right idea. He's trying to go to Ayafalo in the slot. The flex beats Martin Jones, who had probably one of the worst games I've seen him ever have. Not just in the Sharks series, he probably in the NHL. That was a rough night for our boy Marty Jones, but... Very happy with that one. No complaints. Um, the Kings didn't get a power play goal in the first two games, but even the power play, you could tell, you know, it's coming. There's yeah the movement with the movement on the puck, where they're moving the puck, where they're getting the shots from. They're not settling for point shots, even though we'll talk about it now. The Calgary game that kind of helped out, but overall, that Sharks game was to me a tale of two games, right? Philly to San Jose. That's the team. I hope that we're going to see moving forward. Yeah, and and maybe, you know, it's, again, it's, it's sample size difficult to tell. And I don't know, we've, we've talked about how we don't think San Jose is really as good as they were in the past. And even they will admit that that was probably on the lower end of their capability, how they played. And so maybe it's a combination of two things. Maybe it was the Kings kind of finding their footing and San Jose just looking like shit. Um, but... It was certainly fun to watch, and I think for the first time, and you brought it yourself, you brought it up yourself. You know, we'd, we'd watch a lot of the games last year when it would be like, oh, they're you know their possession, they're leading in the Corsi, they're leading in the Fenwick, they're leading in the shots department, they're leading in, uh, you know, the hits and, and things of that, and giveaways, takeaways, things like that. But then you would just watch the game, and you're like, the one thing that they can't seem to win is the eye test of just like, man, they are the better team right. you know it, you'd have to break it down to raw numbers to dissect it down and, and and say after data mining that yes they were the better team based on the objective numbers right but i think this was one of those games where you watched and it was just a pleasure to watch you you know shots and passes were coming from everywhere um they weren't afraid to attempt passes i think there was a lot of fear in the king's game the last couple seasons where the idea of like man if i if i try and throw this puck into the slot where yes maybe one of my guys will be but it gets turned over am i going to get stapled to the bench or called out for it and again i don't know if that's what happened but i just that's that's kind of how the play was it was always the safe play over the high risk high reward play and it's nice to see these players not only attempt the high risk, high reward play, but succeed. And so they can realize that, you know, they're skilled players. They're not just grinders. They're not just possession players who, um, who are just coached to play a certain way. It's nice to see a little creativity back in, in the way they play, especially a guy like Kopitar, who, you know, has that capability. Um, I think we're still waiting, like you mentioned uh, for the last game, you know, we're still waiting for Carter, uh, to Foley and Pearson to kind of find their footing. Um, but it's nice to see that that first line with Brown, Kopitar, and Ifalo doing as well as they are. And, and Ifalo has just been a, such a great presence on that line. And again, it's three games. I don't want to jump to conclusions, um, even though we have nicknamed him the answer based on, you know, these AI. Um, <laughs> the answer to all the King's the problems is Alex Ayafalo. It's him. Exactly. <laughs> Alex Ayafalo is a true AI. Rejuvenator of careers. That's <laughs> exactly. But it's just been good, right? Like, he's just showing up. He's playing an honest, hard-checking, fast game. Um, and he's going to get rewarded for it, no doubt, playing with those guys. Because you already see Brown having a great start to the season. Kopitar, obviously, having a great start to the season. Which, again, is nice. It's reassuring. I think we all maybe knew like 98% knew that he would he would come out and look better and have a better season than last season but it's just nice to have you know that little inkling of doubt erased so far and just see him playing well and trying things from time to time um 
it's just it's nice to watch a game and enjoy watching a game and that's not just because they beat up on san jose it's just the plays were there and like you mentioned the power plays i feel like it's just it's seconds away from getting rewarded right like every play every pass the movement it's not just point men stay on the point demon you know don't you dare come down i mean there's 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 a rotation within the cycle and cross passes that we have not been seeing um in a long time that you know you'd watch other teams play and you're just like why can't we do this are, are we really incapable so it's it's nice it's nice to watch and, and the crazy thing is i think it's only going to get better and i think right. when you watch kopitar in the first two games even the third game which we'll get into you could tell game to game he's trying more and more things he's trying more and more things he used to try and let he's moving away from I guess what he's been told to do, trained to do, programmed to do for over, over the last few seasons, which is just drive around the net, you know, hit the point and, and let's try to do something. Slowly, I think it's only going to get better. We haven't seen it in the second line yet. That's the Carter line yet. I think it'll come. That's the one thing to keep in mind. And I was guilty of forgetting this is that it is a process, right? Like it is going to take time for the team to completely look the way coach John Stevens uh, assistant coach Pierre Turgeon, baby, and and all and basically everyone, offensive coordinator, sir, get your titles right, please. Uh, I'm sorry, Pierre, uh, but no, everyone who has any input on changing the way the Kings play, all those guys, it's going to take time. And I, like I said, I'm learning that uh, game to game uh, because I clearly overreact to the Philly game where I thought, you know, it was doom and gloom, and then the San Jose game, you know, you're like they're going 82 and 0. <laughs> which is kind of what i was like who's gonna beat them if they play like this and crazy things like it's, that it's gonna come down to them in vegas baby <laughs> they're undefeated who's gonna, who's gonna walk away right right but but no i mean encouraging positive coming out of the first two games I, like that second game made me forget about the whole philly game like completely it was like what was i so mad about you know <laughs> it's like this is the team that won but then we go into we're back home and it's against Calgary, and that was, boy, that's an entertaining game. I mean, the score aside, that was a fun, fun game to watch, just from a pure hockey perspective. Um, Kings lose that game in overtime, 4-3, to three, Sean Monaghan with the overtime winner. Kings were down 2 nothing on just miscues in coverage, not good, not pretty, and... Again, we are not picking on him right now. I'm just telling you what I saw, again, with my eyes. Jake Muzzin on the first one, you know, I gave him the benefit of the doubt on that first Kachuk goal because Kachuk looks like he's going to pass and then he kind of just sweeps in and, and jams it in on quick. So maybe I'll give Muzzin a pass on that. But that Frolik goal, I mean, that's just straight out missed assignment by jake muzzin you know drew Doughty has the puck carrier which is johnny goudreau one of the more dangerous players on any rush and you know jake there i don't know if he got tunnel vision on the puck or what happened but clearly that's his man unmarked and the flames go up two nothing and you know what's funny um they go up two nothing and i don't think ever did i say that that game was over and historically the last few seasons the kings are down two nothing you could put a bow on it, baby, because it's over. The Kings aren't going to score three. You know, the teams are going to shut them down. Their offense isn't going to produce. But yet, that game, and I think it was after one, never did I feel like the Kings were out of that game. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think a lot of that has to do with the start of that game. I thought for sure that the second line was getting on the board at the start of that game. I mean, they were the puck just would not sit carter had a beautiful rebound chance in front of mike smith and he was trying to pull it back and lift it over the glove and the puck just rolled on him or else he was you know guaranteed goal defoley had a couple chances where the puck just would not sit for him um and so they started off really 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 well and i thought it was going to keep up that way i thought this was going to be yet another game kind of like the san jose one where they were going to come out and they were going to establish the tone and then you know, hold Calgary at bay, which would have been really impressive. I, I This was clearly the first test for this new system and new team. I think um, even just looking on the calendar without ha having had any of the games played, I think most people would say that this was going to be the real first test um, because there is a building rivalry between these two teams. Um, 
stemming back, you know, even a couple seasons, even before Kachuk elbowed Dowdy in the face. But that that clearly was the spark that kind of put things over. Um, and so, you know, to come out and to fall behind an early 2-0 lead was a deflating thing, especially when you start as well as you did. But I think it was because it was early that they fell behind and because they had looked good going into it that they were able to, you know, calm down, give themselves the time and find the chances. And, you know, it took, it took, you know, you and I talked about this when that goal went in. It was a great shot by Kopitar, a little bit of luck, I think, for that puck to get through as many bodies as it did to, to go to the spot where he was shooting it. Um, but, you know, it just, it takes one shot and then one goal and they looked good after that. I mean, that third period, they completely dominated that third period, um, except for the one little, you know, random goal from Kachuk just on a bad, on, on a, not yeah. even a bad entry, just, just I don't, I don't really even know. I mean, well, it was it's a just turnover. A good shot. Yeah, it was a turnover. <laughs> right. uh, you don't want to turn it over there, which is your own blue line or around right. your own blue line. Right. <clears throat> and then Kachuk, Kachuk comes in kind of unmarked. And I think Quick should have had that goal. I think. Yeah, I mean, he had a piece. It just yeah, didn't past but it's them. it doesn't seem it, there was no traffic. It was just Quick and Kachuk, and right. he even Quick his body language suggested that it was supposed to be an easy save for him. Right, he, right. it wasn't like he right. he stretched out and just missed it. He was in position. He just even kind of nonchalantly waved his glove at it, but that beats him, and, and that essentially tied the game. But the. The Kings, when they were down to nothing and they and they came out in the second, they were really, really, really starting to create. And Dustin Brown, man, he gets two goals on the night, two tips in front of the net. John Stevens, again in the summer, he said net front presence, but not just net front presence for the you know for the sake of having it, but actually quality presence in front of the net. Brown, two deflection goals and. After Kopitar got that first one, you know Mike Smith, he's a good goalie, but you know he's the type of goalie that once one puck gets by him, there's a good chance the floodgates are starting to open. He's that type of goaltender, and the Kings just started filling him in a little bit. And credit to Brown, man. It wasn't just the goals that game. It wasn't just the two tips and everything. He was truly a presence on the ice the whole game. You knew every time he was on the ice, you could feel it. He was making something happen, throwing his weight around. Uh, trying to draw some calls, you know, just like he used to do. He, he's had a great start to the season. I mean, in general, you know, he's getting 20-plus minutes a night. That hasn't happened in, like, I think, what do we see, like four or five seasons now? He hasn't been playing that much. He's kind of been relegated to these, like, 13, 14-minute nights, no matter, you know, no matter how many off-season videos they would show of him climbing mountains with logs on his back and stuff and trying <laughs> to get into the, his, like, his Rocky Four montage or whatever <laughs> to kind of get into the best shape he, he could in his life um and he would still just like not get any more ice time and you know it's it's nice to see him succeed um we've talked about how he was mistreated in a lot of ways um by the previous regime and so it's nice to see him uh turn a new leaf with a new coaching staff and kind of revitalize his game um on on with you know with with on ice production i think that's great for him i think that's that's only going to be good for the team because we've been lacking that extra scoring element um and yeah i think it's it's just great it's great to see him and some of these other guys play like they're having fun you know yeah and i think if you were to if you were to pinpoint one player uh that you you would predict would benefit the most from a coaching change i think he was the guy I oh, think, 100%. Yeah, I think a lot 100%. of people would agree with us. And, and you look and you're – even – you could just tell he wasn't in a good place the last few seasons. And I his problems with Daryl Sutter have been at the forefront. It's not like it's been a secret. You know, it's been talked about. It's been documented. So it's no surprise that he's one of the guys that is thriving under a new coach. And it's not necessarily just a new system. I think for him personally to just – truly have a clean sheet a clean slate with someone has done wonders for him he's playing great uh, Alex Iafalo gets his first career point on one of his goals and first of many I hope for that kid because he like we said he has been a, a breath of fresh air for that top line he's the type of player you know it's funny you look at him and 
and I thought this to myself, and I don't know if, if I'm overdoing it, but I was like, you know why he's he's playing so well is because Daryl never got his grips on him. You know what I mean? Like Daryl <laughs> never had the opportunity to kind of reverse engineer him and tell him, no, you can't do that, not until he learned how to play defense. So I, that was kind of funny, I thought to myself, as I usually do. I mean, it's it's certainly possible, right? I mean, you just look at what he's he's getting 17, 18 minutes a night. He's playing on the top line. And I, for the life of me, just watching him play, I can't imagine they're really telling him much beyond just like, go out there, skate hard, play what, you know, play your game. And I think just being out there and playing his game um, with smart players, experienced players like Brown and Kopitar who can capitalize and, and kind of, you know, not necessarily adjust their game to what IFL is doing, but know how to be in the spots to benefit from what he's doing. I think that's that's just going to work wonders for him in his rookie season. And and I hope, like you said, it's the first of many points for him because it's been a while since the Kings have had a, a good player on offense who can kind of show up and really contribute and um, blossom into a good player. I, I think you'd have to look at Pearson as being the last guy uh, who that's that's been able to happen. And there's been plenty of draft picks since Tanner Pearson who just haven't really become uh, the player that you, you've been hoping for them to become. Case in point being so far, unfortunately, uh, Adrian Kempe uh, kind of stands out so far in the, yeah. over the last three games as a player who just, you know, just a frustrating thing to watch because you know that he's a talented guy and it's just not clicking yet. And I don't know... I don't know when it's going to. We spoke highly of him. We had high hopes for him. He's the kind of guy that he shows you flashes. And he has, in the Flames game, he showed flashes too. It's not like, you know, he was just doing nothing the whole game. Like, there was one shift, I think he was up with Kopitar and Brown, I believe. And then he had one shift with Lewis and Shore because Clifford obviously got injured. And he's week to week, by the way. Um but he had these moments where you're like yes there it is that's what we're talking about that's what we see but then he'll go on these long lulls of just not clicking not figuring it out not making the plays uh, kind of behind the play uh even on the breakouts as a centerman sometimes he's just not in the right spot and it, it is frustrating frustrating is is the correct word because you know you know you could see what he can be potentially and he's still young obviously the season's still young so i don't foresee the kings necessarily giving up on him or anything but you got to believe that if this continues he's going to he's going to be in the press box pretty soon yeah i wouldn't i, I would expect next game i mean they're already going to be short uh, a forward with clifford being gone and so that means one well, of uh, actually i one the uh the lines rolling in practice had can't be on the fourth line with Dowd and Brodzinski. Mm, okay. So that's kind of a different look. I, I assumed Brodzinski would pull into the lineup, uh, but that kind of becomes now your fourth line. They had uh, Camilleri, Lewis, and Shore up as the third line. So maybe not yet, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, it's a matter of time if he continues to kind of be a non-factor. Uh He's a type of player that's supposed to bring you offense. And if he's not doing that, unfortunately, he's not doing much else. So hopefully for his sake, you know, against Buffalo on Saturday, he kind of finds something. Just find a groove, find some consistency so that he could he could be in the lineup. It would be a shame if, if, he, if he does go to the press box. But I think if it continues this way, I don't think the coaching staff is going to have any other option with him. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the Kings are giving up on him by any stretch of the imagination, but all you have to do is look at his ice time, right? Like, he's oh, gotten yeah. 10 minutes and less ice time, more or less, over the last three games. Um, and and it's just, like you said, it's just the way that he's playing right now. You know, like, he had that one shift with Kopitar where he kind of just used his speed. He used a little bit of drive. He did a little bit of a dangle, got good entry, was involved in the play. Um but it's it's hard now to watch a guy like I follow play and who has the same speed as Kempe does. I don't know if he has the same, you know, top end skill necessarily that Kempe supposedly has, but you're watching I follow use that speed and use it effectively and create chances. Um, 
And yet Kempe is, is just not doing that. And I don't know if it's because he's trying to be a better center. Um, but you're seeing just a lot more glaring mistakes in his game beyond the fact that he's not in the right spot a lot of times or not utilizing his line mates properly or getting entry. But then you have the added problem of he's not that great in the faceoff circle to begin with. It's just tough in your third line center to not be able to do that. Um, penalties have been a problem for him even since the preseason. And he took a real stupid one the other night. I think it was against Calgary it was. where he was just trying to drive – I mean, he's trying to drive the net, right? And he's trying to, like, establish position. But instead of trying to establish position in front of the defender or get a, you know, a stick blade open to kind of tip a pass if, if a shot's coming to the net or anything of that sort, he straight cross-checks him very obviously into the net. And it's like, you know, I don't know if that's just over, being overly aggressive and trying to, to do a little too much, but that's just such a bad play uh, to do in the offensive zone. And... Um, I think that that power play was the one that Kachuk scored on. Yep, that's you know? the first so you goal. Take, exactly. So you combine a bad offensive zone penalty, okay, on what should have been an okay offensive opportunity with two players driving the net on a two-on-two opportunity. Um, you combine that with a bad defensive read by Muzzin. I, I, I realize you tried to defend him on there, but it just looks so bad on the replay. You know, like, Kachuk doesn't... It's not like he jukes him. It's not like he does something. I mean, I swear, it looked like... it. You would have thought that Kachuk just deked him out of his skates the way he flew to one side, and all he did was literally just wait him out. He looked towards one direction until Muzzin jumped into that direction, and then Kachuk... I've never seen anyone score a power play goal like that where there's two defensemen watching the guy behind the net and he just waits long enough for the defenseman to move and then comes out and pounds a puck in. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, this is something interesting, right? About And this, is, this goes back to our conversation about the eye test versus raw numbers Corsi. Muzzin in the Calgary game was a 75% Corsi 4. I... <laughs> If, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if everyone understands the Corsi 4, but that percentage means basically uh, shots, shot attempts for when you're on the ice versus shot, against, shot attempts against when you're on the ice. Which means that when Jake Muslin was on the ice, 75% of the time the Kings were on the attack. And yet, and yet, he ends up Blowing coverage on the first goal, the second goal, and in the overtime goal, I don't know if it was necessarily on him, but man, he was way behind the play on the Monahan goal. He was he wasn't even didn't even look like he was in the building. It was a three on two. Yeah, Nick Shore, not the best turnover there. A stick lift and they go the other way. But I mean Muslim was like behind Mike Smith when, when that turnover happened and Yeah. And the Flames attack with three and Muzzin still at least 25 feet behind the play. Again, I, I'm not picking on him. I think that's on shore. If anyone, I, I go, well, that's on shore. And that's maybe on John Stevens for throwing out Lewis shore and Muzzin on a offensive start, you know, on a face off yeah. in the offensive zone. But that again, goes to show you, you could talk about course. You could talk about, you know, possession metrics, all that stuff. Again, the eye test will never, ever get old. It will never go out of style for me. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very... And anyone who watched that game who's a reasonable fan can tell you that Muzzin was just... You compare that to how he played um, in the Philly game. I think he broke up a two-on-one really, really nicely in the Philly game. And he looked solid in the San Jose game as well. And you were just like, okay good you're you're not you know you're not trying too hard you're making the right plays um and he had a good preseason and we were ready to eat crow and then it just these games pop out these very very obvious games um and you can't even blame it on 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 the idea that like he and martinez are paired and so that's what it was because martinez hasn't played a game yet he's, he's been hurt the whole time so it was just a very very obvious um couple defensive mistakes there that it, it, you can't even blame the partner. You really can't. I mean, on 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 the second goal, instead of sticking with Froelich, like you mentioned, you know, Dowdy's full-on locked in on Goudreau, who's got the puck, and Froelich literally splits Muzzin and Dowdy, 
okay, goes between the two of them to the opposite side of the net, and Muzzin is just wagging his stick around, still looking at Goudreau until he realizes that Dowdy's there as well. It's just it's just a, such a bad read in the tight, high-scoring area. Um, on the overtime goal, I think Muzzin was trying to drive the net because Shore had the puck uh, coming up from uh, the left side of the net, and I think Muzzin was trying to drive the net and beat the forward to the net to try and tip a puck in, and Shore just messed that up. Shore did not get the pass across in any way. It was picked off, and then it turned around uh, into the two-on-one and eventually the three-on-two, and Muzzin obviously was late kind of getting in. So maybe he got caught back. I don't blame him on that one like you mentioned. but No, no, I'm not blaming him either. My issue comes with, first of all, the throwing out Shore and Lewis, who have never probably played three on three. Yeah. I think Lewis might have had a shift or two here. Yeah. In an offensive zone start, after your top guys were on for about 25 to 30 seconds, which is fine, quick shifts, but the problem is, why was it 30 feet behind the play? You know, I understand. Yeah. You could be behind yeah. the play, but the Flames had all day to, to set that up. I mean, they had right. all day. And. Again, I'm not putting that on them, but it's just these little things. And when you when you see something like 75% Corsi 4, and to me, like that's why he was so highly touted for so many years. This is exactly like Exhibit A right here. You right. know, you he's like, man, this guy, this guy drove monster. possession. Yeah, this guy drove possession 75% of the time. Shot attempts by his team, he was on the ice. Okay, but you watch the replay, you're like, oof. There's no stat for that except minus, which he was a minus whatever. Three, well, he was a minus three. Yeah. He was a minus three. Exactly. And, you know, people can talk about how plus minus is a flawed stat because it doesn't account for the four other guys who are on the ice with you when you're getting that minus. Jake Muzzin earned every one of those minuses yeah. against Calgary. No but, question. But like you said, he was he was good the first two games. I We're still... He was. I, I would say we're still on pace for to eat crow, which we're fine with. Okay, we're fine with that. You know, our our eat crow per sixty is still very high. <laughs> so no worries. Like we're, I'm not saying like this is not a I told you so kind of episode. You know, but but let's let's clean that up, Jake. Let's clean that up. We don't want to do this anymore. You know. A lot of people have commented uh, to uh, Mayor in fourth period about that Shore Lewis Muzzin uh, triplet to start the overtime. And I completely agree. It just makes no logical sense. So I'm trying to think to myself, like, why that would be. And the only thing that I can come up with is that Stevens was hoping to win the offensive zone faceoff. And so that's why Shore was sent out there, because he had just had Carter and Kopitar out there, who were your two other centers. And so, he, you know, the, the only other center option he had was throw, either to put Kempe out there, who, as we mentioned, has not been very good in the faceoff dot where you put shore out there who has been good and you're hoping to win the face off and set something up what i don't understand is why you go shore lewis muzzin versus shore to fully muzzin if you really really want to have a center out there you know well, like it you just, could have even i don't know lewis could have taken that face off so is sure lewis could have taken that face off to fully could have taken that face off to fully's taken face offs so i'm i don't really i mean i get it i get it right can't be the big reason why his ice time is limited is because you don't want to give him defensive zone starts and you don't right. want to give him offensive zone starts. So, <laughs> no, seriously, and that's that's not that's going to eat away at your ice time, right? You, so that only yeah. leaves neutral zone starts and changes on or the fly and things like that. Or, right. Yeah. So I get that, and I get that uh, thinking if that was the case. But, like, Pearson's taken face-offs, and I've seen him win face-offs clean. So especially if it's an offensive zone start, I know the faceoff's important, but it's not a priority right there, right? Because, yes, the Flames might win the draw, and, and overtime's all about possession, but when you go the other way, you have to remember that there could be serious issues there. Yeah. And had the Kings won that faceoff, do you really want it to be Shore and Lewis responsible for making something out of that faceoff? So, right. Mind you, the Kings had the second change there as the home team, and so they saw that it was uh, Monahan. Sure. Um, who was is Monahan Goudreau on with it was and I forget Giordano maybe were those I think the three it was, I think Brody made the play out of the corner Brody okay to, so you know that you know that Monahan's the one who's out there taking the draw so he's their best centerman he's their best faceoff guy right and so you have you have the ability to respond to that and so maybe that's why you put Shore out is that you're hoping to 
win that draw. But I agree. I mean, it's an offensive zone draw. What's the worst that's going to happen, right? They win. They turn the puck down the other way. <laughs> Instead, we win, and we still cough it up and end up, you know, having to take a goal on it. So, yeah, I don't know. You could play Monday morning quarterback as much as you want, but it just I remember just watching that game and watching the scent like the second they lined up, and I was like, why are these three out there? Yeah, that was immediately the question that came to mind. Yeah, and I don't think you were alone. I, a lot of people in the post game on Twitter and all that were just. <laughs> kind of baffled by that decision but again like this is this is picking nits right like it was a great game they played well uh it's funny because the philly game they went to nothing and you're like you know doom and gloom everything's bad same old kings you know same old stuff slow like calculated bend but don't break and then they lose in overtime and you're like this is great you know the team's looking good everything's fine and that's exactly how I felt after the Calgary game. No big deal. Like, yeah. Mike Smith played kind of out of his mind, uh, made some big saves. He did. It's the kind of loss you're – it goes to show how important it is from a fan's perspective, the entertainment value of a game, where how much it changes the way you view a win and you view a loss. At the end of the day, we're all fans. And this is, I'm sure, you know, coaching at the coaching level too. It's Sometimes you'll take a loss if you play the right way. And sometimes you win games where you're like, I'm not happy with the way we play. It's, it's no different, really, right now with the Kings. So right. a tale of three games <laughs> this week. Uh, so question for you, Vardy. Yeah. I know you mentioned Kempe. Uh, mm -hmm. But is there anyone else on the Kings that you, watching these games, feel the clock's ticking on them? That we My camillary. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't see I, I'm that. Just not, I'm I'm not seeing a damn thing, honestly. You know, there's some sentimental value. Uh, What's that? Hold on. What sentimental value? <laughs> no, no. There's I mean, a little. I get what you're saying, but there's like, a... dude, like that was not this team. <laughs> like, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> you know, this isn't Justin Williams who's coming back for his second tour and he just doesn't have it anymore. You're like, no, you can't get rid of him. But no, I agree with you, man. He looks, you know, you for a team that wants to be faster and for a team who's been criticized for being so slow, I can't think of anyone outside of Dwight King that is as slow as Michael Camilleri is right now on the Kings. Like, Milan Lucic got a lot of crap for being slow, but he could blow by this guy right now. No question. He's just not doing anything that's effective, honestly. It, it, it's and I, I don't know. Maybe it's a problem with that whole line. Maybe it's the whole structure because obviously he's playing with Kempe, and you don't know how much Camilleri is slowing Kempe down versus Kempe is um, preventing Camilleri from doing whatever. But I've seen Camilleri on the power play as well, um, just waiting for those <laughs> one knee one timers, buddy. Where they've been, um, and they're just. You know, like he'll take these shots. Like I remember the, on one of the power plays against Calgary. I mean, he was just taking this shot that made no sense whatsoever. I know. I, I remember like, it went wide, like by four feet, super wide, and he yeah. almost cleared the puck up on that shot. It was like this off leg, bad angle, just snapshot that went about a mile and a half wide and behind the net. And I was like, "What are you doing? What is the point of that?" It's just I'm, again, you can't tell me. And I get it. It was a low risk, high reward. Totally get that. That's fine. Um, but you keep this up, right? You, you play a game like this for 10, 15 games, and you're not really adding much. You can't tell me that a guy like Brodzinski or Dowd isn't better served being in the lineup if you're just playing this guy 13 minutes a night and hoping to get the occasional goal on the power play from him. You yeah. know? Yeah, I think... If that was, sorry, if that was the logic why they didn't go after a guy like Yager... And Calgary obviously ended up getting Yager, and God bless him. I hope he plays until he's 75 years old. But if that's the reason why you don't go after a guy like Yager, then that should be the exact same reason why you don't go after a guy like Camilleri. Because Yager had a better season than Camilleri did last season. Right, right. And I, I can't picture a scenario where at some point this guy isn't on waivers, honestly. It's, it's early. It's a small sample size. He's 35 years old. It's going to take him time. I get it. But 
Okay, Gabrick's coming back. Let's think about this logically, okay? Mm-hmm. Gabrick, oh, actually, I don't know if he's coming back. Have you heard that? Like, there's nothing to report on this guy, this which is radio silence, man. which is very odd, and it's very, very reminiscent of what Lou Lamarillo did with like three of the Maple Leafs two seasons ago, where they just kind of, yep, no, no news is no news, and they just they were never heard from again. Until you hear, until you see like mysterious Twitter posts from or Instagram posts from Joffrey right. Lovell snowboarding, and I'm kind of <laughs> honestly I'm concerned about that because you watch these three games now and you're like, you know, Gabby might do well in this kind of environment. He might do well in this kind of up tempo system and style. And suddenly, even the way John Stevens answers the questions about Gabrick. In, in on LA Kings Insider or whatever media scrums, it's like one word. They're like, any update on Gabrick? He's like, no. It's like, yeah. Hey, I... <laughs> is there any like you know? You usually you bet you say something after that, like, oh, he hasn't skated or he's still nursing an injury. We're working with him off ice for now. It was just no. <laughs> it's just very I thought, odd. I he had gotten in. Am I wrong that he had gotten in like a non-contact or he was starting to skate? I seem to remember like something about that. A little while ago, but it was, I mean, it might still be early. I think that there was still some talk when he initially had the surgery that he could have been out until December or something. Um, I think given his age and given that they're really not counting on his contribution all that much, quite honestly, and given that they have some younger guys who can come in and play that winger role like I follow, um, like Brodzinski, that they have no reason to really rush it. They have no reason to really even discuss it, quite honestly, at this point. And I agree with you. I think he, he could benefit from this type of system and might be able to still contribute in this type of system. Um, but really, what is, you know, it, it, I think it falls so low on their priority list right now to even talk about it. And it's like, if he comes back, great. If he can't, you know, we'll send him to Lamarillo Island and him and Lupul and, <laughs> and, uh, Stefan Robinger. <laughs> Stefan Rubio can kind of chill together and talk about the good old days. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it would be, be a sad ending to what was an otherwise illustrious career. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully uh, he is okay. Hopefully he can step in for a Camilleri or whoever. Um, and hopefully we could see it because I'm really curious to see what he could do in the system. I think he would be a rejuvenated player as well. And if he's not, just throw him with Aya Fallo. And, uh, his career will be rekindled once again, just like yeah. everyone else. I mean, that's what who, happens. Who plays basically. with the answer? Yeah, basically. Uh, <laughs> the right. fountain of youth. It is Alex. I follow. Yeah. So the Kings and the Sabers next. Uh, Buffalo, still kind of that tweener team, still trying to find their way. Young team. Uh, if you're going by strictly on paper, the way they've played, the Kings. Should should be able to win that game, but you never know in the NHL. That's the beauty of it. Uh, what's your prediction on that game, Vardy? Give me a score. Um, hold on. Is it an afternoon game? I'm looking up the time real quick. I'm trying to think. Oh, good. It's an evening game. Well, that bodes well. The Kings historically do terrible on Saturday afternoon games. Um, I'm going to say 4-2 Kings. 4-2 Kings? Nice. I'm with, gonna... the, with the second line, with the second line finally getting on the score sheet. I was I was feeling three one kings, so I'll stick to it. I'll say three one kings, and we're gonna score an empty netter. Whoa! I know. Hold on now. Whoa, whoa, buddy. Yeah. Easy, easy. Yeah, I'm high on the new kings, man. So, <laughs> whatever. Three one empty net goal, um, and the kings will remain undefeated in regulation in the Bannerman era. That's my prediction. I like it. Just so long as we can keep posting that, I'm I'm good with it. Let's keep going. Yeah, I know, right? Um, uh, should we throw out a quick little talk about the rest of the league? Are they are they worth our time? Yeah, let's real quick. Let's talk about a few teams. Obviously, the big story is Vegas, right? Vegas is undefeated, three and zero at the time of this recording. Uh, James Neal is. I don't even know what to say Desert about Darling, that guy. James he's Neal. he's he's already a legend in Vegas Knights history, and they're already talking about putting a statue of him outside. <laughs> obviously, I'm kidding, but no. I mean, other than obviously the on ice brilliance, I guess of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, obviously, off the ice, what happened in Vegas uh, is a tragedy. It's heartbreaking. 
I, I personally am still kind of reeling from it. I know you've already lived there. So for you, I'm sure it's a whole other thing. Um, but that opening ceremony, man, on opening night for the Vegas Golden Knights, really, really well done. Really classy. They didn't overdo it. You know, it wasn't... They didn't make it a spectacle. It was subtle, brilliant. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, I, I think it's... You know, it, it's it's really tough. I mean, I'm not one to get particularly emotional about things like that. And just, you know, my heart obviously goes out to that community because I, I, I've known so many people from there from the few years that I lived there. And um, it's 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 a really underappreciated community. You know, there's a lot of transient uh, uh, parts of it. Obviously, a lot of people come in and go in. And so to finally have... Uh, like a, a solid unifying uh, thing like a professional sports team. And such an odd thing if you think about it, right? To have an ice hockey team be the first major uh, professional sports team for this city to have and then to have that, that tragedy happen just before the opening of this team. Um, and I think Mayor mentioned this, and you, you have to think about it, right? Like, Because they've been building up to this for months, for a year. And so you, you, they probably had this whole other idea of how they were going to do this thing and how you know the spectacle they were going to have and Cirque du Soleil and everything was all going to be more than likely part of the opening of it. And instead you had to scrap that whole thing um, for good reason and make it that very subtle... Um, touching and, and beautiful uh you know entry into the golden knights era at home in vegas and obviously you cap it off with a very emotional win um it's i think it's it's a beautiful thing a beautiful response to a terrible terrible event and that's the kind of thing that um a city like that needs it needs some sort of an anchor and there's a lot of hockey fans there there's a there's a couple of rinks there, probably more now, um, and there's just good people. There really are, you know. It just it's, it's, I don't know. It's just really sad, not just for the country and everything, but just for that city. It's sad to see stuff like that happen, and I'm glad that the team is there as a unifying force, at least for the city at the moment. Yeah, um, Vegas strong, man. Uh, it's I know it's a hashtag. I know it sounds like catchy marketing, but it, it resonates with me personally. I haven't even lived there. Obviously, I've visited many times and all that, and you've lived there. But it, it's a feeling, you know. It's not just a line. It's not just a hashtag. It's not just marketing. It truly is a feeling, and I thought the Golden Knights brilliantly represented that city and have been representing that city over the last three games. And But on the ice, they look pretty good, man. They look like a good team. They're having fun. It looks like the wild wild west where there's, there's just no rules for there there's no none nothing it's almost like you know back when marcel dion played and every time some you know he's done these interviews where they're like system he's like systems what's a system you know we never have system we just went out there and we just you know triple crown line it's easy you know it's pass right. pass score and that's what they look like obviously i think it's not sustainable uh just you know the balance of the league and teams kind of re coming down to earth one way or the other. I don't think it's sustainable, but it's a great start for them. Yeah, no, I, I, and I agree. And, and I watched that whole game against, against Phoenix. And um, I mean, that's, that's such a tough, tough game for the coyotes to come into and play, man, home opener in that setting. And then you fall behind. I mean, you're, you're pretty much done from the get go. Um, but they, they play so open. They play so free. And I think that they're coming around in an era of the league where that's okay and it's encouraged. Um, so it's it's nice to see them having fun with it. And it's nice to see a good coach like Gerard Gallant um, be able to get that something like that out of this team, which, again, is, is still quite in a bit of flux in terms of its own roster. I mean, they have guys like Shea Theodore that they're not playing. Um, they've got... Um, Oh man, I'm I'm blanking on the Russian guy's name oh, right now. Oh, Adam Shipachev. Yeah, Shipachev, who's not even playing yet. Because of some because weird of, like transactional. Like, right, know. it's all roster moves and waiver wires and stuff like that, and they still have like 14 defensemen or something ridiculous, and so they're just kind of biding their time. They're seeing what happens. 
so this this roster is very much still in flux, um, and so it's it's going to be a very very interesting season for them. I know I'm personally excited to see the Kings actually play them. Um, I think it's I think the whole season for them is going to be a nice ride. Win lose, however it ends up happening, it's just going to be a very very memorable uh, season, uh, not just for that team. But as, as a focal point for the NHL, I think anything that they do right now is is worth the hype and it's worth the attention that they're getting in my book. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. And it's not – it's everything, right? It, and the, I don't want to say the tragedy played into it, but the way they reacted as an organization played into it. So I'm kind of pulling for them a little bit. Um, and I hope they do well, except against the Kings. Sorry, guys. Uh, but around the league – Let's let's look east, Vardy. I, I recall in our around the league in eighty minutes, a very handsome, intelligent man said that both the Rangers and the Montreal Canadiens would be having rough seasons. And we're only three games in, but boy are those teams having a tough, tough time. And I don't want to injure my shoulder patting myself on the back or anything, but yeah, it's it has not been a fun time for two original six teams. I got it half right at least. I'll, can I give myself that? <laughs> it's still a long season. I think Montreal's still got enough skill to pull it off. But uh, let's talk about what we agreed on. We agreed that New York was not going to be very good, and look at him go. Look at him not be very good at all. I'll tell um, you what we didn't agree on: is New Ve- Jersey being is Ve- yeah Vegas and New Jersey being at the top of the league? That I'm we, so confused. I, <laughs> yeah. It, early in the season there's always these nutty things happening right this happens right. every season and like i said teams kind of regress to the mean eventually um but new jersey vegas colorado and then dallas looks terrible it, it's very very weird what's going on and then pittsburgh got blown out like 10 to 1 yeah um the leafs are good but they're Really allowing a lot of goals. I think their goals for is near the bottom of, or the goals against, sorry, is near the bottom of the league, and their goals for is near the top of the league. Um, Alex Ovechkin playing eighties Oilers hockey. <laughs> completely, yeah. Just outscore them, whatever. And if you look at Grand Fuhrer's numbers, you'll realize why it's not fun to be Craig Anderson yeah. or uh, Frederick Anderson right now. Yeah. But one thing you did mention, Vardy, and I think you. It's going to turn out that you're going to be very, very correct is about Paul Maurice and the Winnipeg Jets. Um, you mentioned, I believe you said that Maurice isn't the guy. He's the guy before the guy mm-hmm. to take that team to the next level. And it's only been three games, but man, it seems like you're going to be dead on about that. Which is funny because they signed him to an extension just before the beginning of the season. So yeah, I, for but... what reason, I don't know. <laughs> like, why couldn't you just wait and see how things turn out? Were the results from the prior season so amazing that you just couldn't help yourself? I'm not really sure, but... They're having a tough time, man. They're having an awful time defending. Um, offensively, they'll be fine, but that, man, their goaltending and their defense has has just looked terrible. It's tough when you see Ovechkin with seven and Matthews with a handful and all these guys are just coming out blazing. And or Neil Yakupov with four. Neil Yakupov with four. <laughs> Dustin Brown this has three. Kopitar is like ten away from his – nine away from his total last year. <laughs> it's just, just Looney Tunes right now, man. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think the Paul Maurice watch is officially on. Even though you said it was on before the season, I didn't quite – think he was ready to go but now i'm i'm leaning in with you man i think the clock's ticking on him and the next guy will probably turn that jets ship around because they're too talented to be this terrible daryl sutter is uh waiting by a phone right now Ooh, just yeah. saying to get a good few good years out of that team for sure <laughs> patrick liney will be back checking like no one's business yeah all right vardy so that's it for our episode today uh, we're going to try to do this as much as we can, guys. We're going to try to get to you every few games like this, try to get recaps of the games from the Kings, and we'll look around the league just like this as well. But so far, positive. Very positive start for the Kings. 
Very positive start for the guys that needed a big start. The Kopitars, the Browns, that 70s line will eventually come around. Uh, any thoughts, Vardy, about this week? Um, no, I agree. Encouraging. I don't know if I'm ready to uh, say that they're a playoff team quite yet, but they're they're definitely on the bubble, and if a few things go right and they can keep up the hot start, and that carries over, man. That That really does. Um, you know, you look at the difference between starting 0-3 and, and starting 2-0-1, and, and it is, it's, it's huge. It's gigantic. So you keep that up, who knows? That's it for us. Follow us on Twitter, guys. We're at the Bannerman Pod. Our website is bannermanpodcast.com. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, all your podcast platforms. And as always, go Kings go. We'll see you next time.